Well, good morning, Orangewood. If uh, you remain standing as I read from the greatest sermon ever preached from Jesus himself, you can follow along in your Bibles in Matthew 5 or on the screens. It says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before you take a seat, would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we recognize that you are here with us. That you are in our midst. And so, Spirit, use these human and weak words to speak to your people today to remind them of the truth of the gospel and the profound ways you can use each and every person here. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, If you're a guest uh, here today, I'm really glad you're here. This was actually a great Sunday for you to join us. We're beginning a new sermon series called Salt and Light. And uh, as part of this series, we're beginning the next section of the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus of Nazareth called the Sermon on the Mount. And my heart and vision for this series and for you through this Salt and Life series is for you to reimagine, recapture, and be redeployed with all the kingdom potential that God longs to use you in this world. Uh, we, we talk about one of our values here as a church is 168 living, that we recognize we are created to glorify God and to enjoy him, not just one hour on Sunday, where we are right now, but all 168 hours of our week through our work, rest, and play. Uh, Put another way, that you and I are called to be salt and light in a culture where there is decay and darkness. Uh, You might have noticed as you came in, we have a city on a hill uh, post-it display in the lobby. And we wanted to create an opportunity for our church to share where they have seen salt and light in their everyday lives. And so my hope is that we will fill up the rays of light uh, on this sea on a hill display of moments of where we've seen other people doing God's good work. And these don't have to be huge things. Um, A few things that I've thought about this past week was when our youngest son, Caleb, prayed for Emmy, our daughter, his sister, uh, that God would heal her of her fever that she had this week. 
Um, I, I think of a community group in our church uh, who put on a baby shower for a, a mom, uh, expected mother uh, who did, doesn't even have the resources for diapers. Um, I think about, I heard a story this week of kids from our church on Halloween going to the Trilago Assisted Living. Um, one, because they love candy, but secondly, uh, to be there to smile and visit with people who may not have had a visitor in a really long time. They're easy steps if we just open our eyes to see the salt and light among us. And so we'd love for you to write some of those down in the lobby after church. Um, uh, you know, part of this next three weeks of salt and light is in, in even calling that out, you may be even saying, well, gosh, that seems a little gloating to even name it. Uh, um, but first of all, we're hoping that you're naming what you're seeing in other people. And secondly, that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden in the same way. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And finally, I want to just highlight our resource page for this Salt and Light series. This has different resources you can read if you'd like to, if you want to know more about calling and vocation and why where God has placed you in your life, why it matters. Um, and you can find these on our Church Center app or you can go to orangewood.org slash salt and light. Uh, but my hope for this sermon series is once again that you would reimagine, recapture, and be redeployed to follow Jesus in this new life with a new perspective of God's kingdom potential for you in his great plan of redemption. This section we're entering in the Sermon on the Mount is jarring. Um, have you ever had a time in your life that was a jarring moment? I mean, I've, I've had moments where uh, you're watching a movie and there's a jarring scene that catches you by surprise. You know, I, the first thing that always pops in my mind is the sixth sense. You get to the end of the movie and you realize that jarring moment, what, that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. That's, that's jarring. Um, you know, the, this past month, there, we see news that's jarring, right? Um, that um, we watched at the end of September, uh, the scenes from Hurricane Ian, uh, the, uh, the, the devastation along the coast, that, that, was, that was jarring. Uh, other jarring moments in life that are, are in some way jarring, but incredibly beautiful, I, I think about it, uh, was the, the birth of our three kids, um, that just jarringly joyful moment of them coming into our world. It kind of takes you by surprise. And then the jarring moment, right, where they say, okay, it's time to leave. And you've got this tiny little human that you're now responsible for. That's, that's jarring. This moment in the Sermon on the Mount was equally jarring, if not more jarring, to the people who listened to Jesus. That he was saying to them, you, yes, you have an incredible role to play in God's great story of redemption. It was incredibly jarring for the people on that hillside in the first century uh, because the people there were no name people. Uh, there's no A-list celebrities on that hillside in the first century. Brad Pitt is not there. 
Uh, There's no financial elites on that hillside. Warren Buffett is not there. On that hillside, from everything that we know about today, this was an incredibly oppressed people. Uh, The Roman Empire ruled all the known world at that time. And and part of their rule uh, was to raise uh, taxes. They had a system of taxes uh, that they would continue to raise to support and fund, to extend and expand their empire even further. And so the people in Israel had been taxed into debt on their own ancestral land. They were taxed on their own land. And what was so jarring is Jesus says to this group, this group who has no power, no name, no status, you can change the world. You can change the world. Uh, that he, he says, I, I know you don't think I can use you. I know you struggle to believe my statement, but God has a plan and a purpose for your life with incredible potential to radically tra- change every area of influence of where you're located. We don't see in this passage people there, but there, there has to be someone thinking, Jesus, are you talking about me? Uh, Jesus, uh, are you talking about me with the pressure that I live under every day? Uh, uh, with, with my marriage that's in shambles, with, with the doubts that consume my mind? Are you talking about me? Jesus essentially tells us it does not matter where you've been. It matters where he will take you if you will allow him to use you to be a blessing to others in your life. Jesus gives us this promise through one simple word in our passage, salt, salt. Friends, you are the salt of the earth. Seems like an interesting metaphor to describe the kingdom potential that you and I carry. Uh, But if you'll give me 25 minutes, maybe 30 um, this morning, I'd like to unpack this promise Jesus has for all who would follow him. So the question for us is, what is the purpose of salt? What's the purpose of salt? Why did Jesus use this metaphor to describe your kingdom potential? Uh, Jesus uses this because it's, it'd be hard for us to understand as a modern person here today, because we think of salt as just an added ingredient to a meal, but salt was an essential element in the ancient world. Um, In the ancient world, you would have thought of the music band Earth, Wind, and Fire, Earth, Wind, and Fire, but in the the first century, as they toured Galilee, they were actually called Earth, Wind, Fire, and Salt. One ancient writer said this, quote, the world cannot endure without salt, end quote. Salt was a foundational element to life and reality in the ancient world. And there were two main functions or ways it was foundational. The first was salt was preserving. It was preserving. We have to remember in the ancient world, they didn't have refrigerators like you and I have. The only uh, moments in life where we experienced what they had was during Hurricane Ian. If you lost power like I did, uh, what's going to happen to all that food that's in the refrigerator? It is going to decay. 
And so in the ancient world, how did they protect food from decay? In, in the ancient world, salt had a preserving effect. They, they literally took the salt and they pounded it into the meat, just pounded it into, um, because salt doesn't exist for itself. I mean, think about this. Salt doesn't exist. If you ever go to a restaurant and you're, and you're sitting there and the waiter comes up to you and says, well, what are you going to have uh, for dinner tonight? Uh, and no one says, oh, don't worry about me. I'm just going to eat some of the salt that's right here on the table. Uh, I mean, no one says that unless they're really weird. Because why? Salt exists for something else. And much like salt, the church exists for something else. To be a community pervaded by love, moved to justice, because we've apprenticed our life under the care of Jesus, and we believe he is the true Lord of this world, regardless of whatever Putin or Biden or any other ruler tell us. The church is the salt of the earth, willingly serving the needs of this broken world to preserve the world from its decay. And we see this decay in our day in two places. The first is political decay. Uh, Sociologists say that we now live in the most divided season politically as a country since the Civil War. And I don't know if you know this, but there's actually an election happening on Tuesday, uh, which will mean even more division coming our way. And through social media and the internet, we find ourselves living uh, in seasons of, of echo chambers, only kind of furthering the division between us. Uh, there was a writer named Bi Young Kool Chang Han, and uh, he's a Korean philosopher. He wrote a book called The Expulsion of the Other. And I haven't read the book, but I've read parts of it. And in the book, he basically says, as we've moved from a society uh, more self-referenced, more individualistic, our whole self-esteem and security are driven by expulsion of anyone who doesn't think like me. So we live in what he calls, quote, the terror of the same. That if there's anyone who doesn't think like I do or believe like I do, they must be canceled. Think like me, believe like me, or you are dead to me. And God has called the church to be the salt, to be packed and pressed into our culture to preserve us from decay and that we will not join the world in the world's ways. That the church is reminded like the first century to be a community whose primary identity was not to live for themselves. It was not about what you do. It was not about who you voted for. Our primary identity is that we are citizens of a better world under infinitely better leadership from a better king whose name is Jesus. This was actually the issue taking place in the first century uh, city, uh, ancient city of Philippi. Uh, uh, Philippi, as part of all that world at that time, was under Roman Empire rule. Um, but Philippi was an interesting city, unlike all the other cities you'd find, like in Greece. Um, uh, all the other cities basically regretfully un- sat under Roman sovereign rule. Uh, Philippi embraced it. 
Uh, Philippi loved being part of the Roman Empire. They loved being citizens of Rome. If you walk through Philippi at that time, they, they gladly shouted the anthems of Rome and wore the swag of Roman Empire with joy. Uh, but even the church in Philippi needed to be reminded of their calling to preserve the culture amidst political decay. Even the church in the first century had to be reminded not to give in to political affiliation becoming their primary identity. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it as he wrote to the Philippians about their primary identity. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Our citizenship is in Rome. Nope. Our citizenship is in Tallahassee. Nope. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, remember your identity. Church, remember your identity. Remember your calling. You are not part of the true citizenship that is in Rome. You're not part of the true citizenship primarily in Tallahassee. You're not even part of the true citizenship that is in Washington, D.C., what fills your heart and hopes is not who's going to be the next Caesar, but that you belong to another world, that you belong to a better king who is making all things new. Now, I don't think Paul is saying be a bad citizen in Philippi. I, I, I don't think that Paul is saying don't vote. Um, I don't think Paul is saying reject the government. In fact, we find elsewhere, Paul's writings, he says, pray for your leaders and officials. Uh, submit to your leaders and government officials. But I think Paul is saying, remember, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Don't give in to binary beliefs. Don't, uh, don't think that the right government with the right politicians will solve all of our issues. We are awaiting a true king the true king of the universe and we are called like salt to pack ourselves into our culture through all our various callings to hold back the decay that political division brings our community so the church is a preservative holding back political decay but also notice the church is holding back personal decay I don't know if you are aware of this. I'm expecting you, you, you aren't. Um, but do you know what we celebrate on August 20th? It's a national holiday here in America, August 20th. Um, August 20th is affectionately known as National Lemonade Day. National Lemonade Day. So if you didn't know that, you're welcome. National Lemonade Day. Um, and Chipotle, the restaurant, wanted to celebrate and commemorate this day, National Lemonade Day, with a very special product. They came up uh, with this. You could buy this. This is a candle. It is a lemon-scented water cup candle from Chipotle. Why, why did they create this? 
Well, apparently, many people, uh, when they ask for free water cups from Chipotle, they go to get water, but they, quote unquote, accidentally get lemonade instead. So Chipotle wanted to commemorate National Lemonade Day with a candle to let everyone know Chipotle sees you. (laughs) They are watching you, man. They know about the quote-unquote accidental lemonade. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but how, how many times has that happened? You, 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 hey, just give me a free water cup, but then once you got over there, you're like, I'm gonna accidentally get something else. Chipotle sees you. And God sees you. Our personal decay not only speaks to accidental lemonade, but what we have seen and known is there is a level of personal decay that continues to rise in our country and in our culture. The World Happiness Report stated that Americans were less happy in 2018 than they were in 2008. And other studies found that wealthier nations like ourselves show higher rates of anxiety and depression than less well-off nations. In fact, there are many things in our culture promising to bring happiness, but we are actually finding more and more those things promising liberation are bringing more and more personal decay. Um, I want to read an excerpt from a book by John Mark Comer because he just riffs on several things that are highlighted in our culture, promising freedom and liberation that seem backwards or are causing further issues. He writes this, happiness levels have been in decline in the U.S. since, interestingly, the 1960s. Consider that divorce, while cited as an example of liberation from the patriarchy, has been shown to disproportionately benefit men. Or that those who cohabitate before marriage are less likely to marry or more likely to get a divorce if they do and often develop long-term trust issues. Or the research on oxycodone and vasopressin, the two chemicals released by our body during sex that bring our attachment system online and cause us to bond to another person, it seems that the more sexual partners you have, the less capacity your body has for intimacy, or the much documented but little talked about data on the effects of abortion on women's mental and physical health, or that 25% of children spend a portion of their childhood without a father in the home, overwhelming evidence indicates that the experience is damaging to both boys and girls, or that sex reassignment surgery and hormone therapy for those who identify as transgender do not benefit their emotional health which is the main rationale behind reassignment surgery and hormone therapy. Or the stats on the epidemic of sexual addiction across the West, or the fact that porn becomes increasingly violent, misogynistic, and cruel is now a multi-billion dollar industry intentionally targeting children. Never mind that while the quote Me Too movement was dominating headlines to raise awareness of male exploitation of women, The Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy, a story about male sexual domination, was becoming the highest-selling book series of the decade 
and one of the highest grossing film franchises of all time, end quote. Comer succinctly names the places we are called to look for liberation, to look for freedom. The places our culture keeps telling us will bring us happiness in the data is only bringing more and more personal decay. And the need is for the salt of the earth, that is you, that is you, to be packed into every nook and cranny of our culture to show the world through apprenticing to Jesus how life can truly flourish and thrive. That true happiness comes not through self-liberation, but through self-denial by following Jesus and trusting Jesus to be the guide who will lead us out of the places of bondage and most of us some sort of decay we know and carry this morning. So the first purpose of salt is to preserve, preserve the culture from decay. But secondly, the one we're most all aware of is that the salt in the ancient world was for flavoring. And here's the interesting thing about salt and how it flavors. The colony experts would tell you this. Uh, because salt and pepper end up on the dinner table in the same place, we think that they are part of the same group. They actually are not from culinary standards. Uh, pepper is a spice. It's added. It adds flavor to whatever you eat. Salt is meant to enhance the flavor that's already within the food itself. Salt enhances what's already there. So to be the salt of the earth is not asking you to quit your job and move to Thailand. God may be calling you to do that. But for most of us, God is calling us to be the salt of the earth right where we already are. Where is God at work right where I am? I remember sitting down with um, a very successful member in our church in Michigan when we were there. Uh, we sat down to eat. He, he had retired early from his job, very financially successful. Uh, he had traveled the world and he, he had shared about his view of his calling and vocation the entire time he worked was, uh, I go to work, uh, I, I work hard because uh, the end goal is to make as much money as I can. And uh, on Sunday, I would go to church or most Sundays and, uh, and then I would give back to God uh, a portion of what I earned. That was his view of vocation and calling. And as we sat there sharing a lunch, he began to cry because he had been reading some books recently that opened his eyes to the calling that God had before him all that time. And he said, oh, Tyler, I wish I could go back because now I know there were all these places God was at work in my office and all he wanted me to do was join him there. Where is God at work in your life? And all he wants you to do is join him there. Uh, we had a Sunday study this fall called, Does Your Work Matter? And here at Orangewood, we answer emphatically yes to that question. Does your work matter? Yes. Does your parenting matter? Yes. Does your singleness matter? Yes. Does your marriage matter? Yes. Does every place God has placed you in your life, does it matter? We say yes 
You are the salt of the earth. God has called you to certain places that you would join him in what he is doing there to make your workplace better, to make your community better, to bring justice to this world. This is what Jesus is getting at in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the cry of our hearts as a church is, Lord, how do I make up there come down here in my life? How do I make the kingdom of heaven come down here into this broken world? You are the salt of the earth to flavor and enhance where God is already at work and where new creation and a new world is already birthing in the midst of this old creation with its old ways of life. Where is God asking you to bring up there, down here, in your work, rest, and play this week? This is the purpose of salt, to preserve and flavor the culture. But how do we do this? How do we become the kind of people who are the salt of the earth? Well, that's our second question. Where is the power for salt? Where's the power for salt? Frederick Dale Bruner has a commentary on this section. And he says, uh, this passage, uh, Jesus is being very clear about the salt and how important it is. Bruner says this verse properly translated into English is more like you folks, you folks are the very salt of the earth. It's emphatic. Notice Jesus doesn't say You folks ought to be the salt. Uh, He doesn't say you folks should be the salt. He he doesn't even say you you folks could be the salt. He says you are the salt of the earth. You folks are the very salt of the earth. Please, friends, notice Jesus' profound and high view of you. Uh, Jesus is very fond of you, and he believes that with his leadership over your life, you are blessed to be a blessing in this world. That's why this section follows the Beatitudes. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, essentially, if you will follow me, if you will apprentice your life under my care and under my teaching, if you'll let me lead your life, you will be blessed. And you can learn from Jesus how to live your life in such a way that the blessing you receive from him gets passed on in your life to be a blessing to others. That you folks are the very salt of the earth. Uh, Here's what I know, and this is good news. It may not sound good. You and I do not have what it takes to be the salt of the earth on our own. Um, left to our human striving, left to our human power, left to our human wills, we will not get very far. As Jack Miller wonderfully said, cheer up, you are more broken than you ever dared believe. And that's good news. Because that's good news because the awareness of that reality opens you up to a power through Jesus to be used in ways you cannot imagine. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the Ephesians in the first century, and he says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly 
than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yes, friends, you operating your life from a place of self-reliance, self-promotion, self-autonomy, it will bring no salvation or blessing to your soul. But the person who comes to a place of self-surrender, self-denial, self-forgetfulness, that person who redirects their life to God through Jesus, that person will experience salvation and healing and blessing will flow through them into the lives of others. Uh, It is the person who apprentices their life under Jesus and the blessing he offers freely to all who would follow him. It is the person, that person is the person Jesus uses in ways they could not believe or imagine. It's, it's the person who lives their life under the care of God throughout their week. That God begins to make up there, come down here into all the places that he has put you. To preserve the world and to flavor the world. But we need a power outside of ourselves. And Ephesians tells us that power only comes through Jesus. As we come to communion today, ask Jesus for this power in your life. Ask Jesus to remind you of the grace you have received in him. And that in him, you folks are the very salt of the earth. Uh, Ask God for the ability to reimagine, recapture, and then be redeployed to all the various places and callings where you have been put in your ordinary life here in Orlando. Three questions I'd love for you to ask yourself throughout this series on salt and light. First question, where is God already at work in my life and he wants me to join him there? Second question, Dallas Willard says, there are basically two ways of living life in this world. We can either be a person of blessing or a person of cursing. Willard says, we choose to bless or curse others with our life and our words. So this week, how can I bless rather than curse those in my life? And finally, here's a question I'd love for you to ask yourself every day through this series, and it's from Gary Moon. It says this, who would I be if Jesus were living his life through me? Lord, who would I be if Jesus were living his life through me? And I know the answer to that. There is no limit with Jesus how God will use you. How God will give you a power that you never thought was possible in your life and through your life because you folks are the very salt of the earth. Let's pray. And so, Father, this morning, by your spirit, 
uh, resurrect the dead, decaying places in our hearts. Uh, resurrect new life in us to be your blessing to this world. Lord, give us an imagination of how you want to use us and draw us to Jesus to receive grace from him and power in all the areas of our life. We pray this in his name and everyone said, amen.